This is On Your Radar, a podcast series featuring the expert clinical and medical staff at Rosecrans. I'm John Williams. In this podcast, we're focusing on the impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on healthcare workers and the challenges they face every day. Joining us today are Dr. Ray Garcia, medical director at the Rosecrans Harrison campus, and Amy Young, Rosecrans director of nursing. So let's welcome Dr. Ray Garcia and Amy Young. Dr. Ray is on a phone line. Hi, doctor. How are you today? Hello. I'm well, thank you. And, nice to be on with you again, John. Yeah, we've visited before. And Amy, I think this is the first time you and I have met, correct? It is the first time we've met. Glad to be here. This is the fourth in a series of podcasts we are recording with the folks from Rosecrans. Um, let's just talk a little bit in this podcast about healthcare workers and how they have been impacted by the pandemic and what they're doing as a result of all of that. Uh, first of all, let's start with you, Amy, this time. What's it like? You're a director of nursing, but you're also a nurse practitioner. So you normally see patients anyway, right? I do, yes. What, in what capacity? What kind of patients are you seeing? I see adolescents um, for mental health disorders, and I also see adults with substance use disorders as well. And so I suppose that has its own challenge pre-pandemic, right? Absolutely. There are lots of challenges and lots of stressors. We want to make sure that everybody gets in, gets the best services that they are, that we are able to give them. What does that mean? What's an example of that? How, how do you come into contact with patients? Typically, for my adolescent outpatient mental health clients, they may be referred by a school that's noticing stress or anxiety, or their parents may be noticing some mental health concerns, and they go through the assessment process to be seen, and they will come in and see me for mental health concerns. So that I think that's um, that first phone call, is that where the assessment takes place? That is part of where the assessment takes place, correct. Which is probably a, a challenge for some parents to pick up the phone and make that first call to... Not know if my kid has a problem or a problem sufficient that it needs to call you all. I mean, I think that's a that's a heavy lift for some parents, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. It can be a stress just to know, is this something that I should just talk my child through? Or is this someone something that's going on that I really need to help my child through, that I need someone else to help do some of that heavy lifting? And we're talking pre-pandemic here. We'll get to the other layer of anxiety that kids have been dealing with, and for that matter, the people that tend to them in just a minute. But so then they make that phone call, and maybe they're thinking, I'm making more out of this than I have to be, right? That can be a concern for parents. I would always encourage parents that something that causes a problem is a problem. If you are seeing something that is a concern in your child, reach out for help. The earlier that we can get on board and lend some assistance, the better we're doing. Dr. Garcia, that's um, helpful to me. If it seems like a problem, it's a problem, right? Absolutely. I think you know, let's leave it up to professionals and uh, take the guesswork out of it. Let's make sure we're addressing problems as they arise. And does it come then... I, I'm assuming that parents are hopeful that they don't need to go any further, but maybe that's the wrong starting point. If they've gotten this far, they actually want some affirmation. They want some help. It's maybe more like that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think people uh, want validation for what they're seeing and experiencing. Yeah, maybe it's nice to at least hear somebody say, oh, yeah, we've seen that, or, oh, yeah, I recognize that. This isn't my first trip to the rodeo. I can help you with that. I mean, that must be something um, that you don't want to be too eager to say, because I suppose it's possible to dismiss people with the comment that it's it's – it's not risen to the level that we need to 
too much. But perhaps more often than not, it's the opposite, that they're glad that you have gone through this with other patients before. Dr. Ray, I'll let you respond, and, and that you sort of have in mind boy, I don't know if the end of this sentence is true, what needs to happen next, because I'm sure every patient is different, but at least you recognize these symptoms. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I think, uh, uh, for the most part, uh, parents want answers. You know, they, they're seeing something, they're seeing a change in their in their child's behavior, and uh, uh, they want to know that uh, uh, that there are some solutions that can actually be offered. And then do the do the nurse practitioners, do the counselors, do the people that deal with these kids, do again, pre-pandemic, I presume they take that work home with them mentally anyway, right? That certainly can happen. Uh, there is emotional space that goes with what we do when we're working with behavioral health disorders that um, we have to guard in particular for ourselves to make sure that we're processing our work stresses appropriately and we're able to give our full to our family when we get home. Yeah, I think we sort of assume that people in your line of work, um, they're naturally able to compartmentalize. I think there's something to that. I think that we can compartmentalize pretty well. I think we have to do that to have longevity in our type of field. Then when you throw on some added stressors like the pandemic, that can become much more difficult than it had been in the past. How so? Our capacity gets stretched. So we have what our, we had expected all of these years had been our normal expected working capacity of stressors and anxieties. And now we have all sorts of external stressors and anxieties. We have protocols that are changing every day. We have worries about equipment in the early days. Are we going to have enough PPE for everyone? Everyone was looking for hand sanitizer and gloves. And we have the emotional capacity of our clients. So we serve people who are healthcare professionals who became who relapsed based on their stresses or anxieties or people who have struggled with their mental health. And then we hear their stories of watching people die and all of the, the concerns that had happened early on in the pandemic. So those extra stressors can expand that compartment a little bit bit bigger. So it takes up a lot more space than it used to. And here you and I are talking about teens, obviously. We're talking about healthcare professionals. Um, they go through, as I guess you do, these sorts of um, trials and tribulations normally, but now they're coming to you with this whole nother thing about PPE, et cetera. Um, were they still able to give the same level of care to their patients that they did prior to the pandemic? I think every healthcare provider has really striven to give the exact same level of care that they would to their clients. I feel like that stress can expand when, when we don't feel like we could. If there are times when, due to numbers and capacity of clients seeking care or additional stress on ours, then when we feel like we weren't able to be 100% present with that client at, at the time, we wonder about that. And that takes up some additional stress as well when we worry that we can't give everything that we want to for the clients. What do you say about that, Dr. Ray? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's been the challenge of having to pivot. Uh, in order to continue to provide those services because especially early on people couldn't come in person so we had to learn how to be able to reach clients uh, one way or another whether it was through telepsychiatry on the phone through various apps that we had to learn how to use and um, although telepsychiatry was uh, already just starting to be used most people really didn't know how to use it at the time and uh, so that was a, a you know a very quick study for 
for many of us. Well, what were the doctors and nurses treating COVID patients early on when we didn't really know what we were doing here or what we had here, what the best uh, protocols were? What were they saying? What were they telling you all about what it was like for them? They were telling us it was confusing initially. You know, it was confusing of what are we doing today? Are we following the best practices in the beginning? The CDC versus changing quickly and rapidly. The recommendations uh, were changing. And that was confusing to some people is how are how are we sure that we're giving the best to the clients we can on each day? And we were simply respond. We are going to, always to go back to those guidelines quickly looking at what is the CDC saying at the moment, what is the best science that we have today, and we're going to follow that to the letter to make sure we are taking the best care of the staff and the clients. But that would change sometimes, too. That did, and we had to quickly pivot with those changes, as Dr. Garcia mentioned. That was became the name of the game, was really understanding, following the science, really understanding what was going on in the world in the moment and making sure that we were doing the best we could. We didn't even know the means by which it was transmitted mostly. Some of us were washing our clothes, wiping down groceries for crying out loud, and not wearing masks at first. I mean, I remember when they said, if you're going to go back to work or if you're in close contact with people, you're going to have to wear a mask. I said, I'm not wearing a mask. Now we all carry them around like bracelets. If they're not on our face, they're at the ready, aren't they? Isn't that true? <laughs> yes, that we always have those right there with us. But I just, doctor, I guess I just, I feel for the medical professionals who had to work in that world, right? Provide the best level of care, even as that was changing right before their eyes. Absolutely. And, and all the while carrying the burden of, am I risking my family? Am I, is it possible that I'm exposing my family to, you know, to this virus? So did they tell you all that? If did, did doctors and nurses or EMTs, whoever was coming through to you all, did they say, I'm not sure that doing my job is the best thing for my family? Maybe I shouldn't be doing Am I being selfish here? That sort of thing. Well, I, I found people generally um, were so committed to you know, uh, something like this, I think, uh, forces people to, to rise to the occasion. And I think for the most part, people were being very selfless, to be honest with you. They have those fears. They certainly express those fears. But at the same time, you know, people know this is the job. This is what we signed up for. Yeah. Um, even even if it was something that none of us anticipated, a pandemic. And then it was probably not just the fact that it was a pandemic. I mean, what's COVID-19? But then the volume of patients, right? That must have been overwhelming to the people you all were counseling as well. Yes, absolutely. Oh, so much so. Was that your experience, too? That was my experience. So the volume of clients, not only the COVID-19 clients, but for us in behavioral health care, the, the volume of clients who were stressed and over-anxious about all of the news portrayals and concern and confusion. So that level of additional stress led to some increase in substance use and increase in mental health symptomology. So the increase in, in client care that needed to really be taken care of in a wide variety of ways was certainly stressful. What did it look like? How did it manifest itself? It manifested itself in having clients come in who needed to talk to someone immediately. They needed, so my, while I might, my job that day may have been doing their physical, which would be a fairly brief encounter of how are you feeling today? Let's get your medical history to being, I might be the first person that person sees so that we need to take an hour now because they just need to decompress from all of the things they've seen and heard. They see a medical professional and they have lots of questions that they wanted to ask right away. Wait, they are a medical professional though, right? Yes, but they are looking for the, a different medical professional. They're looking for someone who is sitting behind the desk today, and they're on the other end. So they have questions that they felt like they could not 
receive answers to either in their organization or at their at their office and they now they're seeking services and they just want to decompress and let all of that stress go and yeah. ask some additional questions. But their questions weren't about COVID per se, but more about how to deal with the pressure that comes with it. Some of their questions were about COVID in particular of, you know, what do you think? Because they weren't sure they were getting quite the honest answer. So what do you think about COVID? What do you think we should be doing? What are you doing? In addition to just the concerns and the stressors and the things that they've seen. This is what was happening at my hospital. And I had so much stress and pressure and I felt like I couldn't do a good job. Or there were just so many clients and, and what can we do to help them best? And then, doctor, is this an environment in which people either begin to use substances or use alcohol too much or maybe relapse if they were previously using? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think we actually have seen an increase uh, in the uh, uh, number of people using, uh, not just in general, but amongst the healthcare workers as a way to cope. Um, you know, uh, people who either were already predisposed or people who've already had, uh, you know, these issues that they're dealing with. And, and yes, relapse certainly is something we've seen. We've seen them uh, coming in for treatment. I guess this is obvious. Doctors are people too. But I also think, wait a minute, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a, you know about health care. So you would be the last person who should rely too much on alcohol or some other sort of narcotic. I mean, they they know better, but I guess that's beside the point almost, isn't it? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, sometimes it sneaks up on you. People, people don't necessarily uh, think that uh, that extra glass or two of wine is going to lead down the road to, you know, that slippery slope until uh, uh, it's almost too late sometimes. And I'm thinking about drugs and alcohol, but I, but I suppose it's more than just that. Is it, I mean, I wonder what you all were seeing more of. Was it people that were using that to sort of numb things, or was it people having um, other sorts of uh, mental health issues or breakdowns? Um, I, I certainly saw a lot of uh, a lot of anxiety in general. I think that uh, uh, you know the rates of anxiety uh, just in the general population as well as in healthcare workers just rose exponentially. You're nodding your head too. Absolutely, I would completely agree. The level of anxiety was very much increased. What's the problem with that? I mean, so your job's tough and you have anxiety. Does that lead to other things? I mean. Um, I wonder if it's fair to say, yeah, <laughs> these are tough times, you're anxious, you're having anxiety, and there's not much we can do about it because the, this is where we are right now. What do you say about that line of thought? My line of thought goes back to our earlier conversation. If it causes a problem, it is a problem. So if someone is unable to do their daily tasks or I can't function as well as I used to because this anxiety is taking up so much energy and so much thought that now I'm having difficulties with focus or I feel like I'm not present with my family, those are the times when someone really needs to reach out to get additional help. Is it like PTSD for some people? For some people, that can become an issue. The people who have watched people die, who I have had stories from nurses who have told me that they were the ones who were helping that loved one who was dying set up with the iPad and, and were the only, or they were the only one who was able to sit there and hold someone's hand because family couldn't make it. They were on a plane and they or they got caught up with TSA and a COVID pre-check and they weren't able to get there by the bedside and they've held the hands of more dying people than they ever had in their past. Um, those incidents are 
really taxing on the level of resilience that healthcare providers really have. And certainly symptoms of PTSD could creep up in that case. So I want to ask you about then, is there something they could do proactively? Is there something people listening now could do either to combat anxiety or maybe fortify themselves? You know, this reminds me of a little bit, though, this will sound callous, I don't mean it to, or trivial, but uh, veterinarians who so frequently have to put people's beloved pets down and themselves have cared for those pets and have come to know and love them, my understanding is go through great amounts of anxiety or or sadness because they, on a daily basis, are ending these loved animals' lives, and it really does weigh on them. Now, make those human beings who you're trying to provide intimate care for in the midst of a pandemic if you're having to go through the scenes you're describing, good Lord, how do you handle that, right? Right. And so that's when we rely on the things that have worked in the past. So if taking a few moments to yourself, hugging your children, those pieces, if those things have worked in the past, make time for yourself to do those. But again, if it is causing a problem for you in your life, it is time to reach out to a professional. You need to have someone to talk to who can objectively sit by and listen to the, some of the things that you, you don't want to put on your family or you don't want to put on your friends or they won't understand in the same way. There are those pieces about being a healthcare provider that really sets you apart. There are some stories my husband doesn't want to hear over dinner. So those are the ones I reserve for Dr. Garcia and his couch. Hmm. So sometimes it's not what you're saying, but who you're saying it to, maybe. Correct. You want to be able to make time with a professional who can listen objectively and help you sort through those thoughts. How much of the help that you would provide then, Dr. Garcia, is just that, being a sort of um, smart listener? Um, or is there is there more to it than that? I think that's a large part of it. I think, you know, a lot of times people just want someone to listen, um, somebody that they feel, you know, maybe has has more ability to understand what they are going through. And, um, you know, and certainly sometimes medications and other forms of therapy can be uh, uh, helpful and play a role. Also, I think it's uh, important to, to remind people that now is not the time to skimp on those healthy habits that, you know, that you have either been practicing or have been aiming to practice all along, making sure that you continue to eat healthy or start eating healthy, that you continue to exercise, or now is the time to start exercising regularly. Those are all coping skills that are very effective for overall mental health, and certainly during a crisis like this. You said something like, just take some time. Do people do that? Do they, or do they have the luxury of being able to carve out 10 minutes in between patients or 10 minutes every hour to, I don't know, breathe, think positive thoughts? Do they have the opportunity to do that? That would be ideal. Um, the <laughs> reality is that's not always the case. We can't always find those 10 minutes. So what I remind people is 10 seconds is better than zero seconds. So if that just means 10 seconds outside of a room to take a di- big, deep breath, remind yourself to be present in this moment, I'm going to honor my experience with that last client, and I'm going to move into this next experience with 100% of my focus with that person, um, that 10 seconds is better than no seconds. How do I know that I have a problem that requires some sort of counseling or any of these other techniques we're talking about? I mean, how do you judge how well you're doing or how well you're coping? How do you know? If you're worried about it, you should reach out and get assistance. If I think that's the third time you've said that. Yes, if it feels I like mean a, it. <laughs> if it feels like a problem, it's it's a problem. Yes, and if you're worried or you have concerns, then by all means, you will not get any judgment or shunning. You need to reach out and get assistance, and there are people who would be happy to help you with that. And maybe the answer is a brief therapy session. Maybe the answer is long-term. You, you meet a counselor or a therapist that you've worked with forever. 
But the answer is, if you're having a difficulty, it's time to reach out. Uh, both of you answer this. Why don't you go first since you just spoke, and that is, um, is there a stigma in the healthcare profession to getting help to be in the healthcare profession? There can be, because we're a helping profession. So to ask for help and to feel vulnerable, that can be a very difficult hurdle for some healthcare professionals to get over. And my answer to that is always the same thing that the airlines tell you. You need to put oxygen on yourself before you reach out to the other person, and you really have to be able to take care of your goods, of yourself in a good, positive, healthy way in order to move forward with taking care of the clients that you serve. How do you answer that, Dr. Garcia? Yes, I, I think that is uh, out there, but I, I think that there's more of a fear of, of that stigma at this point. I think that um, you know uh, people are becoming less and less likely to judge the other person for seeking help. I think uh, personally, people will feel that, you know, they'll, they'll put that stigma on themselves. They'll think if I say something, if I reach out, I'm going to look weak. I'm going to look like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm incompetent. But, uh, but I find that, you know, as uh, overall stigma about mental health uh, is starting to decrease, I think more and more people are, are um, more willing to look at their coworkers and say, oh, well, you know, that could be me. So uh, I'm glad they're getting help. Can we give our listeners any other sort of uh, coping mechanisms or tips? Reach out, talk to somebody, find 10 seconds if you can't find 10 minutes. You know, uh, realize you did the best you could in that case. Now move on to the next person and the next part of your day. Any other pieces of advice? We also mentioned practice the good habits that maybe you intended to or were practicing. They're more important now than ever. Those all sound like good ideas. Anything else come to mind? I think sleep is a big one. Make time for sleep. Um, have a good sleep routine. Being able to wake up rested and refreshed is very important. How about you, doctor? I think, uh, I think it's important to be kind to yourself in terms of allowing yourself to have emotions. Sometimes we try to, you know, to try to fend off those emotions. We don't want to have a, a good cry, but sometimes you you do need a good cry. I think it's okay to acknowledge that you're just as human and that you can have those feelings for a little bit. One or two, how much you do share with your kids or your maybe adult kids or maybe your spouse. Uh, do you not want to burden them with what you're going through? Or how do you, I guess it just depends on the relationship you have with those individuals, huh? I think it does. It depends on the relationship you have with the individuals. It depends on where their emotional level is of what they can carry for that day. Um, for myself, it's usually... I, they would know if I had a hard day, if I would send my husband a text message and say, leave some fresh clothes for me in the laundry room, I'm going to shut the door and I'm going to change there. Everything goes into the washing machine and then I'll be ready to greet you for the day. Is that a COVID protocol or that's just like I'm putting on a fresh me? I'm, 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 I'm putting on clean clothes and I'm going to dismiss the, cho- the, the what happened during the day. That usually means I did not have time to complete the COVID protocol right before um, I left work. So I'm going to take care of that as soon as I get home sanitize my car, and then I'm ready to go. Also, I need to put on a fresh me. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, I do kind of like that idea. Uh, Dr. Garcia, Have you? do other people do that? That's kind of an interesting idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes people need to have that transition to be able to, you know, to, to be able to kind of leave, <laughs> to shed that other skin uh, as they're coming in the door so that they can be more present to their families in a, you know, in a different way. That's, um, I wonder if maybe just uh, if you're driving from work to home, stop for a minute, get a cup of coffee. Uh, you don't want to maybe cost your family with contact time that you'd like to spend with them, but maybe you do need to do an emotional or mental reset before you mm-hmm. re-engage at 
with the, with the next persons in your life. Absolutely. I found well, an audio book. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Audiobooks have been a big friend of the healthcare profession as we've moved through COVID. A lot of people have leaned towards listening to something positive and uplifting on their way home so they can reset their mind and brain on their way to their family. I was going to say something similar. Lately, I've been listening to uh, podcasts, but usually uh, non-work-related podcasts. Yeah, no kidding. Um, well, then don't listen to this one, doctor. Because, <laughs> but I must say, I think that you know this is what happens a lot of times when we visit with the folks from Rosecrans here at WGN Radio. Some of it makes sense. Some of it seems almost obvious. But um, what do we know? It's really good to sort of hear from you folks who uh, know this field, know these disciplines, um, and you're not asking us to do anything extraordinary in a way you know talk breathe exercise think reevaluate i can do all of those things mm-hmm. i just never had anybody guide me to it or through it you know and you'd be surprised how many people you know when you tell them those things and they say yeah yeah sure it seems obvious but but sometimes we just need to hear it or maybe even given permission to think about and do those things. Well, yeah, maybe permission is the word I'm looking for, because then if you said, well, did you do that? Have you done this? Well, no. Why not? Well, because I'm stressed. Okay. <laughs> you need to sort of make that break. And maybe the the way that people finally decide to get more activated along those lines is when they, they call a Rosecrans or somebody like you folks and say, okay, what do I do? And then you set them on the path that might not even be that surprising to them, but would be very helpful to them. Absolutely. This is On Your Radar, Frontline Workers and the Impact of COVID-19, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Go to rosecrans.org or call 866-830-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting. 